This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Nicholas Kelly is the CEO of Excella. They are changing the way people view healthcare. They do this by assisting the care lifecycle for the individual by providing high quality care, which embraces their values and promotes independence and dignity. He is also a technology entrepreneur, having worked at prestigious brands such as Apple and LinkedIn. Nicholas Kelly, welcome to ClientSide. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for having me on this sunny morning. Oh, the sunshine is beautiful. It's about time that the sun finally started shining. Uh, let's talk about your your background. After you finished your degree in industrial design, you spent some time in media agencies and Unilever. You were then headhunted by Apple, which is pretty much every young person's dream. Tell us how that experience kickstarted your career. I think when I there was one point I, went, I remember going for um, an interview and someone looked at me and said, your career seems a little bit haphazard, like, like you're making it up as you go along. And actually, when I look back at it, it, it does somewhat feel like I am. But I think I've always had a, a long-term goal. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to be a pilot growing up. And I think after having a, you know, a mobile crash and, and getting a medical discharge, I had to kind of reassess and work out what I wanted to do and what was right for me. You know, I love flying planes. I love, I love the freedom. I love just everything that comes with that level of engineering I, I think I said before I remember the first time I went near you know I was walking onto the runway to go to go up to the aircraft I kept on having to pinch myself and look around and going you're gonna let me fly that <laughs> someone you mean coming from where I grew up being even near this place I shouldn't even know this place exists let alone sure. let me jump into a you know stupid million pound aircraft and taking it right. for I mean, for, for a flight for a couple of hours. And and I think, so kind of going from media agencies to client side, it, what, I, what I realized quite quite stage was, I mean, the role at Unilever was, was created by an old mentor of mine, Joanna, who she kind of, I worked with her. She was my client when I was at LBI. Um, and she was actually my client at that point. But she saw something in me and said, look, I really want you to come on board. And we, we want to create a role for you. So I kind of went in and had to kind of show what my capabilities were, but write my own job spec. I think I had to write my own job spec right at the beginning. And kind of mm-hmm. Neil and, and, and Dee really kind of saw something in me and kind of just let me have that role and let me build that role out for myself. So that role wasn't a role that existed before I went there, but it's a role that exists now that I've left. And I think that's also a really great, great testament. And kind of going from... I mean, we were building, I think we built 120 country, country websites, rolled them out in, in a matter of months. We, you know, we, mm. we built the first investor relations app that was, I think it was targeted at something silly amount of people. Let's say it was targeted at like 100 people and it was downloaded nearly 5,000 times. So the numbers were ridiculous. I mean, we were the first ones back in 2000 and I think it was like 2000 and it has to be about 210 or something like that, but we were the first ones to do live video directly into an app and into five different video streams. So you could literally, we had an iOS app and an Android app, and you could literally have five different video streams that were being degraded as you went along. And I mean, at that point, the only ones that were really doing anything of that level was YouTube. And we were able to do that from a, I mean, an invest relations um, launch in Turkey back to the UK in real time. And I remember even waking up that morning and getting a frantic call from marketing director going, 
what's going on the app i can't get any sound it's all it's all good what's going on i don't know what to do and me thinking mm. wait how long will it take me to get to turkey to try and fix this problem in real time for for actually literally for me to then stress and you know, like i was like i can't work out what's going wrong i'm asking to do everything and i think in the end i was like did you flip the volume switch on the side of the ipad Yep, cool. That works. All right, great. See you after the conference. <laughs> <laughs> but at that, do you remember at that point, iPads were relatively right. new. They weren't this right. thing that everyone knows nowadays. So people were still kind of getting used to them. I mean, they'd been around for a year or two, but they weren't in a sense of their own word like they, they are now. I mean, you pick up a tablet and they're like, oh, just grab the iPad. It, it could be any tablet, sure. but it's it's that go-to word. People don't use any other, anything mm. else. So I think it was there. And then I think kind of then leaving leaving there and and getting kind of going into to apple was was huge for me and i think the, the big thing about that for me was it was that was that point that i was like i realized that potentially i was better than i'd been led to believe and that's not to in any way being arrogant or blow my own trumpet but i think as you go through your career working in media agencies you are you very much on realize that you are a number. You you have no value. Your value to them is how much money you can generate, and that that's it. Mm. Your value to a lot of these companies is is literally is that they don't really care about you. And I think it took me a long while to kind of realize that. So kind of being pulled into this really cryptic. You know, I think I said to you, I got. I think I remember. It was an afternoon. I got a phone call from someone saying, hey, look, um, we've come across your profile. Um, someone's asked us to interview. Can you come in? Can you come in and interview? And I was like, oh, great. Can you tell me who it's for? No, we need to send you an NDA. Why don't we have a kind of just come in for an informal chat just to see what your paperwork looks like? So you know, I went and met this this guy at a coffee shop, asked a bunch of questions, had a quite a friendly, in- interesting conversation. I was telling him about my story, like where I am, what my dreams are, where I see myself. And then I left and I, in my mind, I, it was, I enjoyed the conversation so much. I didn't really ask that much about the role because I was like, I don't know anything about it. It felt a little bit suspicious. Anyway, later on, I think it was that day or the next day, I got a phone call back saying, right, they want to meet you. Can you go in for an interview? And I was like, great, yeah. Can you send me over the job spec? Um, yeah, I'll send you a job spec. So job spec came over blank. Like it was just the most generic job spec I've ever read in my life. And I was like, mm. don't know what company this is. So I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just work out when I get to the office. Anyway, again, another coffee shop, right? Um, another coffee shop off the back of Oxford Street. And I'm like, and, and I'm now starting to think this is really strange. I'm not, I haven't really been, I don't know who I'm interviewing for. I don't know how to approach this. I'm not sure if I'm saying the right thing or wrong. And, I, and I'm even asking the, the guy that's interviewing me to try and get some more questions and I'm still getting nothing from it. So anyway, I leave, finish that, head back. And I remember coming back and speaking to my, my, my girlfriend at that point which is now my wife and saying look this is all a little bit suspicious i'm just i'm not really going to continue this i'm just going to try and work out something else and she said look just you know what's the worst that can happen just take it as interview practice you know what i mean use it as much just be confident going there and use it as practice so i said fine and i get then i get a call saying right they want to meet you tomorrow this is the address I'm like, okay great looking on google like they still no name nothing so i'm looking on google nothing comes up and I'm now, you know, I'm pretty proficient on how to find information online. I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at land registry, still can't find it. I'm like, okay, this is now starting. Anyway, so I get in a lift. So I get to the building. Um, no, nothing in, on of any description. Get in the lift. And I, the lift doors open. And I'm like, huh. 
I know what company this is. And it was it was that point. But then I think what threw me off, I was like, crap, I am definitely not prepared for this in any way, right. shape or form. There is wing in it and then there is, I mean, I think for the only other time I've been more prepared for a job interview that I was when I went to you know, apply for was at RF Cranwell applying. So mm. I kind of went in and I was like, look, I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to get this. I'm definitely not that material. I'm not the right person for this. So I'm just going to go in and enjoy it. And I was kind of going through my, my usual stuff. And I think halfway through, I was like, no one is paying attention. And one of the interviews just basically turned and he was on his phone. And I, and I, and I kind of was like, he was on his phone and I was like, he's definitely not paying any attention. This is, this is, this is a dead duck. This is, I mean, this is dead in the water. I'm just going to like try and wrap this up, see if I can get some free Apple vouchers and like just chip off <laughs> or just take, you mean, take a pen while I'm leaving the office. And right. he just, he turned to me and was like, just one second. And he just like opened up his phone and then, um, and was like, can you just ask, I just want to answer some questions about your Facebook page and some of these pictures you've got on. And I was like, wait, what? Is that what you've been doing this whole time in my mind? But also, mm. I thought I'd lock my Facebook page. <laughs> Definitely thought, because I, you know, I had a lot of pictures yeah. on it. There was a point where, you know, I think I lived the whole, my, my whole life on Facebook. Yeah. So I had like pictures from when I was in the military. They had some very interesting pictures that I definitely am glad I don't have anymore that no one could use against me. Just, just a whole lot. And it, we kind of then just took the next part, just going through all of them. And I started explaining my story and like how I went from one, one place, which is what I wanted to do. I had an injury, how that kind of really set me back. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was amazing. I think the roles I've all, all the roles I've done, just to answer the question, all the roles I've done have really allowed me to hone in on what's important and what I find as value. I think, yes, now I'm back in the, in the healthcare space. And I, I mean, my, I had an accident when I was eight years old, I was run over and I spent nine, 10 months of my life in hospital. And actually what that's kind of brought me back into is realizing how important healthcare mm -hmm. is and how important the bigger picture is, but also allowing everyone to have access to affordable or free healthcare. And I think all the other roles I've done have allowed me to gain an element of skill to bring it to where I am today and to kind of give me that drive mm, that I need. Really interesting. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the company that you set up then, Excella, and maybe you, you can give us some more context to, to the accident that you had and sort of how that led you to setting up Excella. So for those that don't know, what problems does Excella solve for your customers? So the biggest, I think the biggest problem we're trying to, we're trying to solve is to make healthcare accessible to everybody but also to what we're trying to do is capture all the data around you as an individual and allow that data and that information to inform better care choices and better care pathways. But instead of looking at you as, an, as a statistic, which is kind of, we'll talk about it, but looking at you as a statistic, we're looking at you as an individual. So what is normal for you? How can I help you as an individual? And how can this be better? Because I think the problem we have is, it always feels like it's generic advice that isn't tailored to you, which means people just start ignoring it. And the moment you start ignoring it, what happens is things get worse and then you need more expensive support and help in the long run. So maybe I know that you've been running the company for around sort of five years now, which is, uh, you know, an amazing tenure all of itself. Talk about some of the most significant milestones that you've experienced over the last five years and, and maybe just give us an idea as to 
the size of the company, locations, heads. Yeah, just a high-level overview of sort of where you are. So the, the company itself, so Accelo basically has four, we're now about to be five, but we've got four companies that sit within sort of a group structure. And the kind of the, the real crux of it is I actually work with my mother and not in a sense of, I mean, when I have a conversation with her maybe three, four times a day. She runs one of the care agencies. We work very, very closely together. I'm very much around working with other like-minded people as me. So, you know, I, my best friend to help me excel innovations, which is our technology arm, my best friend and I both set up that company. Both, he came from a tech background from, I mean, he, he worked with the likes of Google and some media agencies, and we both saw the same problem. So we, we both came to the same part. And I think the hardest thing is trying to find people that, that have that right mindset. But also, we've got, you know, we're now, we've grown from two employees 10, 10 odd years ago, or well, 12 years ago, to I think we're just over a thousand employees. We've got an office in London. We're about to, we've got some interest in Brazil. We've got some interest in Jamaica. We're in conversations to open an office in Germany and in America. And they're, they're kind of, it feels so strange that it honestly, it does. It feels strange. Like, so I was saying yesterday, I, had a, I was having a conversation with someone in France about an integration piece with our product. Last week, I was having a conversation with the Thai embassy about bringing our product over to, I mean, Care ID and Care Passport over to Thailand. It feels like we are having all these conversations that sometimes I've got to, kind of pinch myself and go mm. wait what's going on here <laughs> um, for us i mean the interest in brazil is also amazing because actually they are a lot of people don't realize a lot of brands use brazil as a test ground for products before they come to the uk so famously unilever uses brazil as their test ground for their body spray so axe is actually tested heavily in brazil before it okay. comes to the and um, comes to europe right so you know, we, we we kind of i'm following a lot of the the knowledge I've learned over the years from all these bigger companies and the way mm. that they work to bring that down into a micro level and make that kind of useful for everyone else. Mm. Really interesting. So maybe talk a little bit about what some of the uh, main lessons that you've got, because there aren't many founders that work quite closely with their mothers or with their parents. What are some of the mindsets, behaviors or skills that has been sort of transferred to you from your mom that you've been able to kind of implement to use to, to grow the company? I don't know if I can, if I can give, I, I'm going to give it in three and then maybe I might elaborate on them. Every penny counts is one, is one for my mother. That's a good one. Um, no one's going to give you anything for free. Hmm. And this is more from her, but no matter what, I've got your back. And hmm. I think, I, I, I wonder if that's actually just, is just a universal one because hmm. inevitably, if you're in a company with somebody, you need to know that that other person has your back. No matter what happens, no matter how bad and bleak it looks, you need to know that that person is holding you up and you're holding that person up. Mm. I think the reason why the other two are so important and so relevant is you when know, we started our company, we started a company in, I can't even show you the size of my desk, but the room I'm in, I think the first office we had was about 10% the size of my the room I'm currently <laughs> in. I'm in a quite relatively small office room right now right. and we had a computer that we couldn't turn off because if you turn it off it took a day and a half to turn on we had <laughs> I mean, we we've got the cheapest office we could and i think the, the landlord was like look this is technically a broom cupboard 
if you really want. So you I mean it, it, there was a window that was leaking, like leaking. Right. So you couldn't actually sit. So you had to sit at the desk, and you couldn't right. open and you couldn't open a door and sit down at the same time. So the door had to be open while you sat down, and the thing was like <laughs> leaking down, and you kind of just go right, okay. But my yeah. mom, mom's always said to me, look every penny counts. So every time we've got every client we have, we treat that client as the most important person we have as the mm. only person we have. Every time we, we think this, you know, we, we don't have a bank overdraft. We don't have a bank loan. We don't have a debenture. We don't have mm. any interest from anybody. Every last thing Great. that we've got, I mean, our turnover is considerably higher than it was last year, but our turn, we've yeah. grown, we've grown 30% in the last year. We grow Amazing. 30 plus percent year on year. And that's purely because if we, we grow because we can, we don't use other people's money to allow us to grow. Yeah. And that's kind of something sure. that she instilled in me when I was younger. I remember when I was, I was younger, and I remember borrowing some money from a friend to, to buy something. And she literally made me give the money back, bring the, bring it back to the shop and give it back to the shopkeeper and said to me, if you don't have the money in your own pocket, if it doesn't, if it's not your own money, never take money from other people. And mm. that, and that's kind of instilled. I mean, I have a mortgage, so I've taken money from the bank, but everything else we do, <laughs> everything else we yeah. do, we do it ourselves. And kind of, I think the biggest thing that I, I learned over the last couple of years, most of our business is dependent on local authorities and CCGs to, to pay. So that's kind of what a bulk of our overall group income comes from, from mm. domiciliary care and looking after supported living facilities. And there was a point where we just we just weren't getting our income wasn't coming in. And I, I remember I think I said to you, I was stressing about how am I gonna get this done? I mean, I was looking at remortgaging my house, remortgaging my mom's house, we were looking at selling off assets that we had. And it was like we were paying our, I think our wage bill was something stupid like two hundred and sixty thousand on a Friday, and we had something like thirteen thousand in the bank on a Monday. And we tried everything we could. We even started saying, "Look, we were calling up saying, hey, you know that um, the invoice you've been trying to pay, you haven't been able to pay. You need to pay it by tomorrow because we right. need to pay people.'" And I think it was like a Wednesday, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, and I was like, "I don't know what I'm going to do. This is the first time in ten years I'm gonna, I'm not going to be able to pay staff, and I generally don't mm. know." And I think I went to bed, woke up, and we've got 1.2 million paid into amazing. our account. What a feeling! It was an amazing wheels. feeling. Yeah, but at that point, I was like, I'm never going to get back into this position. I'm going to learn from this and put everything in place so we never get back to this position. And I'm glad to say we've never been back to there, and you know, I don't think we will. But it's that's one of the biggest lessons I learned, is actually mm. you can't be complacent. You have to constantly be looking. You've got to be... You've got to be looking ahead as much as you can because that's that's what it is. You have to be looking at your next play, but you also have to be looking at what's going on behind you, and also mm-hmm. making sure that everyone else that's behind you is working to the fullest extent. It, it's a really amazing business that that you've built, and you're having sort of real world tangible impact on people's lives yeah. and and their health. Maybe talk about some of the most interesting or memorable kind of stories or impact that you've had on individuals just to kind of bring to life the impact that Excel is having on your customers? So I think one of our, so we've, we've kind of taken on a really big client just now on, from a technology perspective. So they're using our Care ID platform. And I think the feedback I've got from them was, so we, we basically were taking this platform over from um we're co-partnering with another company that's currently incumbent 
And the client basically said, look, I just got to give you some feedback and you're going to have to read it yourself. And it basically was, this system is so much better than the last system we were using. It felt like we were using a rock, whereas <laughs> right now we're using a computer. <laughs> and I just went, wow, that felt really awkward because the other guys were on the phone. But it was, I think that's kind of the biggest impact we're having is we're allowing individuals to really leverage technology, but at such a small, we, we've always been really efficient and really strong on believing that you shouldn't be paying an arm and a leg. You know, I've worked in media agencies where I've seen a budget go in for a piece of work and actually you cost it up and you're like, okay, this should only cost, I don't know, mm. X. And then someone goes, okay, well, you've got to throw my time on that. That's going to be 20%. You've got to throw um, the head of copywriting on, even though he's not going to do anything. Sure. That's not 20%. You've got to throw in the delivery lead. You then got to throw in, and you, you add the cost. And you're like, actually, the real cost is, say, £10,000. Yeah. The actual, once you put all the fat on it, is about three, uh, three quarters of a million. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> right. And you're like, well, right, I see mm. how that's working. So I think it, that, that's really good. And I think when we, some of the data we're getting back, we're really al- allowing the people using our system to really go, how can I better support individuals? And we then learn from that. So, I mean, we're integrating bed sensors into our system because it allows us to do a proof of life. It allows us to help individuals and care homes to work out what's going on with that person. We're striving to find the best one. And we've got, we're working with, um, to get a, a little box receiver inside a home that allows multiple data points to come in, which means instead of having to go round and look at one by one, we're able to kind of take all that information in real time, put that into our system. Because we've got this amazing machine learning piece that we're building, that can analyze all that data and it's flagging up in real time. It's saying, these are problems. So right now, this person's heart rate is outside of what's normal for that person. You should go look at that. This person has, has a very high temperature. This is what's happening. But also, this person has a very high temperature. Here's all the other temperature readings, which we, you know, we're mapping that. But here's all the other temperature readings that you've been taking over the last seven days. And that's mm. unique in the sense that you're able to just to see that data. We're also pulling in your health records. So we're not just going, okay, this is the information you're inputting. We're pulling in your, your GP records. We're pulling in your hospital records. So now at the point of care, I can see everything that's, that's relevant to you. And I'm not having to go from, from being in the dark. And that is only done by speaking to not just a person that's inputting the data, but speaking to the person that's been looked after. So we work from the ground up in everything we do. And we've spoken mm. to the person receiving care. We've spoken to the person delivering care and the person buying the care and said, right, what do you need? And how does the system need to look for you? Mm. You don't see many technology entrepreneurs who are family businesses. You don't see many black technology founders who are also setting up technology businesses. What do you think has helped you get where you are today in your life and career and what can other black and ethnic minorities learn from your experience? Do you know what? I think it, it goes back to, I definitely don't believe I'd be able to get to where I am without, without my mother. She's not, and I'm, and I'm being honest here, she's not the most technical person. And I know she's going to listen to this because she listens to every last one, every last thing I do. She <laughs> is terrible with technology. Yesterday she called me up saying, my email, my email password isn't working. Can you reset it? I'm like, I can't reset your email password right now. Uh, I've tried everything. Okay, great. All right, I'm going to email our support team to, to reset the email password. Email the support team right. two seconds later. It's okay, I fixed it now. So you can't have fixed it. <laughs> you can't fix your email password. Okay, I remembered my email password. 
she she literally has zero like yeah, access yeah. to any so but what i've got is someone that kind of implicitly trusts me i think my the benefit i have though is working with these large technology companies working with apple linkedin Unilever, and having these really great free reign has allowed mm. me to come back over here and go right this is what i've learned here this is how i'm going to apply it here and not gone you know and i think a lot of people need to realize that it, your end goal might be to work for the likes of them right i mean if your end goal is to to, to work for apple and do a great job with them that's perfect but there are stepping stones to get there but also you need to show that you have the value to be there so if you're sure. trying i think i'm someone saying look if you want to get a job in radio don't just apply because i mean there's like a thousand people applying for it show them why they want you let them come to you and then do it that way so if you want a job in doing something do that job before you get there let them really see the value in bringing you on board and i think that's kind of where how I mean, every role i've got so far i think the last time i sent my cv in somebody i, can't, I actually can't remember the last time i sent my cv in for, for a job but to your kind of question no you don't see that many people in, in of, of color in this in this space and and why not because i think everyone is everyone tries to find a safe bet or tries to fit a mold that they find comfortable whereas i'm trying to fit a space that i see a problem that i'm passionate mm-hmm. about and that i think that i can deliver and add value i mean as i said i've i've had something close to maybe 10 major surgeries in my life where i've been on the general anesthetic wow and every last time i come out the one the one thing i know that when i come out there is always a nurse there so i think the last the last time i had a I mean, i've had a niece so i've had four knee surgeries i've had wow. heart surgery i've had a whole lot but the one thing i know is every time i come out there's always a nurse there that says to me are you okay i'm gonna go get you something to eat and mm. for me when people say that the nhs is amazing the actual infrastructure is probably a pile of bones but the individuals inside the healthcare system are some of the most amazing people you ever meet in your life and if anyone says well no they're not i'm gonna say do you know what i was an eight-year-old boy who had I got run over twice by the same vehicle because they ran over me, reversed back over me, was like, crap, no. I hit a child and drove off down the street. So it wasn't like two separate incidents. It was literally ran over, oh, I think I've hit something. Oh, instead of getting out and checking, let me just reverse back. Oh, no, I definitely hit a child. No. Drive off. And I remember, so I spent a birthday and Christmas in hospital. And what I had is every day, because I was doing points, I was the only child on the child ward. The nurses would come and sit next to me and have their lunches every day so I wouldn't be there on my own. And for me, and I even just like thinking about that, it makes me well up right now, but they are the most phenomenal people in the world. So why wouldn't I try and find a company, build something that supports supports people delivering healthcare? My, my mother has been doing care since she's, she was 19 years old. 19 was her first job when she was 19 was working in a care home. And she said, she actually told me was, she was told to give this lady food, but this lady doesn't always, isn't very responsible all the time. So you just kind of got to feed her. I think mom said that she was feeding this lady and after a couple of minutes, the food was dropping out of her mouth. And she, she kind of called down and was like, look, she's just not really chewing. There's anything I can do. They came up and was like, oh yeah, she's dead. This was the eighties. So let's not say it's today or tomorrow. I'm not, but this was, I mean, she was 19 years old. First time she'd ever really been anywhere near her first day. It wasn't even like first week, first month, first day doing care. But she's been doing it to an extent that every day over the last year in the pandemic, she's been going into the office. She goes into the office Saturday, Sundays. She's there because she, her view is 
my counterparts that I work with in local authorities, my service users that I work with, the I mean, I need to be there and supporting them. We our first four service users, we still have two of them. The other two have passed away, but we still have our first two service users that we picked up 16 years ago. Our first two members of staff, the first two people that walk through the door of our rickety office with, with a leaking roof, Amazing. they're still with us. Your background and your history is what led you to be a purpose-based entrepreneur. Essentially, it was because of the traumatic accident, and, and uh, I don't want to call it an, an accident, but it was a traumatic experience that you had, which has led you to then give back to so many people and it's a phenomenal story and, and and one that needs to be one that needs to be told so talk about for a moment there are all these stats about the lack of people of color black and ethnic minorities in stem careers science technology economics and maths how do we get in your opinion more people of color into stem careers i think we need to be looking at it at an earlier stage I think the problem we have here is we are trying to attract those individuals at a later age. So you're saying, okay, when you get into university, you apply for these STEM roles. Well, hey, I, when I was growing up, I didn't see anyone that looked like me doing what I'm doing right now. So why would I, why would I apply for that role? Mm. Why would I think that that was going to be a possibility for me? Especially when, and I don't want to kind of go into anything around the, some of the race reports and stuff like that and anything that's going on overly topical right now mm. but growing up as a as a as a lad in, in london there was definitely i was definitely aware of how open and closed doors were ever going to be for me and i'm glad to say i've completely feel like i've definitely broken every last stereotype i can think of or glass ceiling that there is but it it, it was that so i think we need to be looking at engaging individuals at a lot younger age but not just, let's not talk about going into universities and speaking to them. Let's look at colleges. Let's look at earlier years. Look at when they're picking their GCSEs. Because if, inevitably, if I don't really see a job in science when I'm doing my GCSEs, that's not something I'm going to care about. But actually, what people forget is when you when you think about it, you just go, okay, well, I don't want to be a scientist. I'm terrible at maths, mm. so I'm not going to do it. Mm. But actually, do you know what? You like playing computer games. Have you considered coding? Do you know what? You, you actually, you're really good at art and design. Actually, have you considered maybe going into biology? Because actually, all you're doing is mixing different bits of information and you like the facts. You're really good at, I mean, you, you kind of need to look at that person's skill and you can bring them through and say, okay, look, these are the different facets. I think what I would love to do, and I've kind of spoken about it before, was I'd love to kind of take individuals and show them the ro a role, but the, the facet of it, all of it. So you think, okay, this is what STEM means. Well, actually, do you know what? There are so many people inside of it. There are thousands of different departments and roles inside of that. This is where you could fit in. Mm. So you know what, let's get into that. Because the moment we start getting more black and ethnic minorities into these roles, the better it will be, the more transparent it will be, the more also the data will start showing. Because right now, half of the things that we get, I mean, we find out that, I mean, blood pressure results and blood pressure machines or I mean, a lot of these machines are based on using are based on white skin, which means when you go and do them, you've got darker colored skin, the results aren't the same because the lights don't penetrate the skin the right way okay. or this, that, and the other. And it's so we, we hear a lot of false negatives that come out of the fact that there hasn't always been a person of color to take into consideration when the product's been designed. And the only way you can do that is by being in the room. Really fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. Last couple of questions on this, and then we're going to get into our 
fun questions at the end of the interview that we <laughs> ask everyone that comes onto the show to lighten the mood. Why don't you like the term BAME and what should we use instead? I hate the term BAME, not even like, I hate, and that's a, and that's a strong word. I think when you use the term BAME, what you're doing is you're trying to make stats or whatever information you want to sound better. So you go, let's hear it, you got, I mean, 17.5% of companies in, in 2000, and, I think it was two, three years ago, 17.5% of companies um, had a, someone from a BAME background. Great. That's good, isn't it? Progress. 13.5% of them were Asian. 3% of those were, were black men. One Less than 1% was a black woman. Actually, when you look at the stats and you start splitting it out, now that starts seeming bad. But also what you've done is you've lumped Caribbeans, you've lumped Africans, you've lumped Asians, East Asians, mm. Pacific Islanders, because I'm sure we're chucking them in there. Mm. You've now lumped the best part of what, 80, 90 countries into one, mm. into one category. So now you're saying, out of all these 80 countries that we represent and, and make up the makeup of, of investment, that's what, it, that's what it's really boiled down to. Sure. So for yeah. me, that term is used to make stats look good. When you want something to look mm. bad, you start pulling out where that person's from. You, you, mean, you go, oh, 17% of companies got, get funding. Black Jamaican man commits murder and you're like, woo, great. You decide to use his, you decide to use his actual country when the stats look yeah. bad. But when you, want, when you want something to look bad, you use the person's individual country that they're from. Mm. When you want the stats to look good, you lump everyone in because you know the numbers are bad. Mm. So when you're saying right now, oh, well, you know, Baines are, are 70% more likely to catch COVID and die. Okay, but what does that really mean? What country are they from? Let's, let's not lump, because I'm not, my makeup isn't the same as someone from, from say, Ethiopia. Mm. Someone from Ethiopia isn't the same as someone from, say, Egypt. Someone from Egypt isn't the same as someone from South Africa. You're now just lumped all those countries into one and not you're actually being even worse. You're actually being quite flippant on how the cultural differences between those people, the genetic makeup of those individuals and actually what they're bringing to the table by just lumping them all in. And yes, someone might say, okay, but we say all whites are the same. We don't. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is everyone is individual. Stop lumping everyone into these big brackets and saying, well, they're white European. Well, actually, no, because actually that's a massive amount of different countries let's not mm. just start lumping these figures in together mm. Mm. what should we use instead i like to be called a black male i like to be called a person of color or i like to be called yeah i like to be called nick okay but... <laughs> so, <laughs> so so in other words address each subgroup as their individual yes. subgroup in turn. yeah you know you, you can summarize it a lot more fancy than i can but yes you're right i think it is call each subgroup who they are because actually you all right look at for example look at the caribbean there's what 20 odd countries in the caribbean you can go from all the way up from the bahamas all the way down to aruba i think aruba is probably the, the right at the end no it's not aruba isn't it's um trinidad trinidad is actually probably the closest to south america there is a massive difference in all of those countries there is a mm. difference between the languages the culture the food the genetic makeup everything the, the, yeah everything so now you're telling me what everyone in the Caribbean is exactly the same. But when you mm. think about the Caribbean, you just think about three or four countries, right? Five, mm. maybe not realizing that mm. Trinidad is actually less than, I mean, if you look at a map, Trinidad's technically a peninsula off the, off Venezuela and we forget mm. all of these things. And so we need to stop lumping everything in because also what we're doing is by lumping everyone in, we're missing out the data and the information that we could use to mm. better support people. Absolutely. Love it. Well, well said. 
Okay, last last couple of questions now. Uh, these are the questions that are a little bit more fun, a little bit more lighthearted about you, the individual. So let's find out a bit more about the person behind the brand. <laughs> if you could live and work anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Oh, do you know what? Um, I've been lucky enough to travel and see, see some amazing parts in this world. I would love to live somewhere that I know that I'm making an influence. So for, for us, I mean, I'm looking at right now at the Caribbean as our kind of our next place that we want to move to because I think there's so much opportunity to build a healthcare system mm -hmm. from the ground up. There's so much opportunities to really grow something from scratch and make it better. I think that would be, yeah, that would be an amazing one for me. And also I think because it's, it's so, it's warm, it's, it's vibrant, there's just a, a, a level of, of warmness to it. It doesn't get snow get in April. It doesn't get snow in April, but you get you get what you do is you get access to fresh food, fresh fruit. Yeah, I mean the world. Our this world that we have that we we kind of forget when we live in a an urban metropolis is so amazing that actually mm. we we kind of get to a point where when we start realizing how amazing it is, we're too old to really appreciate it. And I mm. kind of want to stop. For we a do get hurricanes though. So that's that's the only downside. I might take some snow in, in exchange for a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Look, I think. I think. I think the balance. So uh, there isn't any. I think there's not one place. But I. I love. I love the Caribbean because it's you know, it's, it's close to my heart. But I think there's mm. some amazing things there. I love the UK because I think there's so much amazing things mm. I can do here. So for me, I would love to kind of take a a balance of maybe more than mm. one environment and be able to do that. I love to travel to Asia because I think. There's so much amazing things that they're doing over there that we can learn from. Mm. What excites you most about your current role and position? Oh, <laughs> I've been told off this week for, for telling too much information. But what really excites me, we're working with some two amazing pieces that integrate into our bigger ecosystem. I love that I can, I have the freedom to come up with these amazing ideas. And then I have a team behind me that allows me to flesh them out and really deliver on them. So, I mean, right now we're looking at how we can create a new care model, delivering care in real time. And we're also looking at how, as I said to you before, how we can integrate um, more wearables and medical devices in order to double down on specific conditions. So we're really trying to work out how we can support individuals that have a stroke. So I'm able to kind of really sit there and think this through. So for me, that's exciting. I love... I love when someone tells me something can't be done from a technology perspective, and then I try and work out how to make it how how to make it work, and the ins and outs of it. And I and I, and that's kind of what I go. So when I brief my team, I'm like, I've got this idea, and they go, mm. and I go, okay, I'll come back to you tomorrow. And I go off and I come back and I go, this is how it's going to be done. Yeah. And they go, yeah, we didn't think of it that way. I like it. Good, let's do it. Love it. it, it I, my brain works. I work very very quickly, so I can I fire a lot of ideas out, so they can come back and. Sense of checker. Last book that you read that had a huge impact on you, and the last Netflix series or Amazon series that had an impact on you. Oh, the last book I read. Do you know what? I'm trying to learn German, so I'm I'm reading a lot of German books at the moment. Um, I'm trying to learn German, and oh, wow. because oh, I think okay. last year I decided I needed a challenge. So instead of learning, okay. you know, easy things like most people pick, I decided to pick one of the hardest languages yeah. known to man. <laughs> Brilliant. How's it going? Sprechen Sie uh, Deutsch? Yeah, uh, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I can, I can, I can read it. So I've got an amazing German teacher, and I can, I can read, okay. I can read and hear and understand German better than I can speak it. And she says that right. that's a very strange way okay. of going around it. But 
So that's that. And the that's last progress. Netflix series I saw. It's not easy. I put you on the spot. No, you have actually. I watch. So I watch a lot of content. So I listen to a lot of stuff and I watch a lot of things. I don't sleep a huge amount, mostly because I just don't. I've always had a really bad sleeping pattern and actually got broken up a lot more. So I watch a lot of stuff. So technically, I think I've gone through everything that's watchable that you can on Netflix. So How is that even possible, humanly? I, so I, like, all right, so this week, so this week I'm watching Spiral, which is an amazing French drama. Okay. I've just finished watching Shab, um, Sabah, which is a Dutch crime drama. Nice. I've watched, I watch, you know, I watch anime because I like just to zone out from it. I like watching, when I watch things, it allows me to zone out. A lot of people go, oh yeah, I go to the gym and that helps mm. me to relax. Watching TV allows me to completely zone out and think and actually helps me to shut my brain down. Mm. There's only a few things I can really do that help, help me to do it. I would say, do you know what is actually a really good series? Mm. Snowfall. It's not on Netflix. It's not on thing. But if you can, it's on BBC. It's Snowfall. It's got an amazing okay. British actor in it. And it's about how okay. drugs, cocaine, and crack went into the South Central um, LA. Okay. That is really, really good. The actual main actor in it is a super, super amazing actor. Check him out. He's British. So you always got to support okay. the, the, the British actors as much as you can. And I'm yeah. also, I've just finished watching, I've just been silent there, I can't think, do you know what, if you haven't seen it, amazing, and I and it mostly because I went to Japan and that's kind of where I was, yeah. a program called Midnight Diner. Midnight Diner. It's amazing, it's, it's all in, it's in Japanese, but it's basically all centered around one camera in one little cafe, and this guy, he's, a, he's like, he owns the diner, it opens from 12 till 7 in the morning. Everyone comes in and tells their stories and right. goes through it. And he basically just helps them through their stories. But it's amazing. And also at the end of it, you get to learn about a bit of food and a bit, and you learn a bit yeah. more about Japanese culture. So I love that because I love learning about other countries. Yeah. I love understanding how that works. Mm. If you haven't seen it, look, go out and watch Ozark because... Okay. Have you, have you not seen Ozark? I've seen Ozark. Ozark well, is... I've seen the first season of Ozark and then I got distracted. But it's good. Keep it keep good. keep watching it. For me, Ozark is just Okay. Ozark is one of those a little bit like Breaking Bad where the subject matter is so bad that everyone no one really wants to touch it. And then you get like phenomenal actors yeah. like the guy that did Breaking Bad, what's his name? Um I mean, he was not getting any work. He was, remember, he was the father from Malcolm in the Middle. He was pretty much written off as an actor. Hmm. Did Breaking Bad which Mm-hmm. Let's be honest, phenomenal series, but because of the subject matter, I don't know if you remember when Breaking Bad came to the UK, it was being shown at like one, two o'clock in the morning on like on TV. Oh, it never got, that. it never okay. got, it was being shown like one, two on a rerun. Then it went to like 11, 12 o'clock. Okay. It was being shown at really inappropriate times for anyone that wanted to really watch it. But it's one of the biggest TVs oh, and wow. programs of all time because of the content of the subject matter of drugs and drugs. Listen, they, they kind of push it out. And I think if you look at something like Ozark, Ozark's about money laundering, about crime. So you're pushing that out. Yeah. But actually, do you know what? It's phenomenal acting. It's a really good, strong script. Brilliant it TV. It doesn't feel rushed. Okay. Definitely, definitely not worth watching. I think my next one I'm about to watch okay. is Concrete Cowboys, because if you haven't seen it or know the story, so Baltimore have a bunch of black cowboys that actually own and ride horses in around the city. Oh, I've heard of that. And if you, Rudimental did a song years ago, and right at the beginning of the song, they had a bunch yeah. of people riding riding horses, and that's that. So that it's a part of their culture. So I love when there is an element of 
real world brought into the program and it then allows me then to go okay I, I like what i've seen here let me go off and do my little rabbit hole and spend an hour or two hours online mm. learning a little bit more about it um which is amazing Love and lupin lupin's my lupin's my last my last one or as the friends say lupin lupin yeah <laughs> it's, bri- yeah, well, it's have, brilliant yeah, he's an it's amazing really actor. he's an amazing really actor. he was in he's yeah. done some really omar yeah. sai I think his name is really yeah. good. They really might, they, good. They would be, they'd be my picks. You're definitely the person to come to for Netflix recommendations. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to come back to you again once I've gone through these. My last question, Nicholas, what advice would you give to aspiring black technology founders and entrepreneurs who also want to navigate their careers? I would say work out what you want to do, work out where you want to be and don't let anyone tell you you can't do that. And as simple as that advice might sound, it, it might sound like a copy and paste. You are going to, I've had people that have told us that the product we're trying to build is never going to be, be built. We built it. What we're trying to do is impossible because the NHS has spent 35 billion trying to do the same thing. Okay, we did it. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to know what you're doing. You have to have a really good team around you. So don't let anyone stop you. And sometimes it might feel that, you're not going forward and you might have to take a sidestep. There is nothing wrong with taking a sidestep to get to the end goal. You mean, a lot of people tell you a success story of Jeff Bezos successful. All you see is the fact that he owns Amazon today, but what you don't see is the hard work, the graft he had to put in. The amount of times that, remember, he never got funding. Someone, I was reading something yesterday that said, the four people that currently own Amazon shares from day one that still own shares now, is Jeff, him, his wife, his mum and dad, because that's the people that believe in him. So when everyone tells you what you've got is is, is wasted, everyone tells you it's not going to work, keep going. And mm. last bit, don't be afraid to pivot because if you've got something Slack, Slack is one of the biggest companies right now, an amazing product, but Slack isn't wasn't the original product. Slack was a pivot from the original product that was failing, that they mm. said, okay, we've got a better idea using the chat functionality we've got here. So if you've got a great idea, same thing, there you go. Mm. If you've got a great idea and you think, okay, I can't continue this, but what else have I got? Do that. Be really honest with yourself, Mm. but also build a team around you that when you're working all the hours and you feel like you're drained, that person there goes, okay, let's take a break and I'm going to support you. You need a support unit around you. So let me say that again. My one bit of advice is don't let anyone detract you from what your goals are mm. and believe in yourself. I think being a being a black male is very, very hard to believe in yourself when it comes when it comes to doing things that aren't in your comfort zone. I know for sure I'm one of mm. the only ones in this space. And I know for sure that when I go into a room, I'm one of the only ones that look like me in that room. And I don't let mm. that I don't let that be a, a hindrance. I just go up and say, hey. I'm Nicholas. This is what I do. Let's have a conversation. Mm. Got to be confident. Mm. Nick, thank you very much for being on Client Side. Thanks for having me. I think we can safely say that the world is going to be better when we all start believing in ourselves. Well said. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email zoe at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Zoe Woodward, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency.
Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.